The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hello there. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan. There has been a search for the eternal fountain of youth throughout the Western world, and anti-aging has become popular. What is anti-aging all about? Doesn't it sound rather narcissistic and egotistical? Well, whatever. It has branched into something called functional medicine, where we try to look at underlying causes for illness. And of course, the premise is that we'll have longer, healthy lives. So it sounds like a good thing. So here with us to talk about this is David Wood, who is a scholar in uh, futurist thinking and has written a book, The Abolition of Aging. So let me, I'll let you t- I'd like to tell you a little bit about uh, David Wood. He's a pioneer of the smartphone industry, co-founding in 1998 the Symbian, the creator of the world's first successful smartphone operating system. Software written by teams, led by David, was included in half a billion smartphones over the following years from companies such as Nokia, Motorola, Sony, Ericsson, Samsung, LG, Panasonic, etc. He spent three years as a CTO of Accenture Mobility, during which time he co-led the company's mobility health business initiative. Early in his career, he spent 10 years as a software architect and software director at the UK-based mobile computing innovator, Pizian PLC. As principal of the independent consultancy and publisher of Delta Wisdom, David is now a full-time futurist speaker, analyst, and writer. He is the author or lead editor of six books, including Anticipating 2025, A Guide to the Radical Changes That May Lie Ahead, Whether or Not We're Ready, also of Smartphones and Beyond, Lessons from the Remarkable Rise and Fall of Symbian, and most recently, the book I just referred to, The Abolition of Aging. Abolition of Aging. He also leads up the London Futurist, a nonprofit networking group with over 6,000 members, and has shared over 150 very interesting events on techno-progressive and futurist topics. He spent eight years at Granville and Caius College, Cambridge, studying first mathematics and then philosophy of science, and is an honorary doctor in science from the University of Westminster, awarded in 2005 in recognition of his services to the smartphone industry. He's also a fellow of the Institute for Ethics and Emerging Technologies, secretary of the Board of Directors of Humanity, and the executive director of the political think tank TransPolitica, and a fellow of the RSA. So welcome, David. It's quite an interesting background, quite different than most of our guests. 
It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, okay. So uh, what got you interested in anti-aging? So I'm a technologist, as you kindly uh, went over in the beginning. I've seen the abilities of accelerating technology to cause rapid changes in many fields. You talked about smartphones, which initially were nowhere. And in a relatively short space of time, they are now everywhere. And I realized that some of the same improvements in technology would actually be applicable in a fundamental way to extending human healthy lifespans. I ran across the writings of a number of the pioneer thinkers in this field, including, for example, the Cambridge uh, scientist, Dr. Aubrey de Grey, who has proposed some very interesting theories in life extension. And the more I studied these theories, the more I thought, this actually deserves wider attention. Thankfully, in the intervening 12 years, more and more other people are looking at this field too. And so there's now a blossoming community of people who think, as I do, that healthy life extension, uh, radical changes in lifespan, may be just around the corner, by which I mean within 20 to 25 years. So what is aging? So aging's been the subject of so much study over the millennia. It's only relatively recently that we've been able to pin down what the causes of aging are in terms of things that go wrong in our cells and at the biological level of our bodies. When we're young, we suffer problems, but we bounce back quickly. Our bodies are marvels of uh, repair mechanisms when we are young. But as we get older, all these repair mechanisms gradually get damaged, and so we are more prone to all kinds of disease, infirmities. And what people like Aubrey de Grey and others have uh, been able to point out is that there's a number of separate categories of damage that apply at the cellular level and at other low-level biochemical levels, which if we could uh, undo that damage, then we would get back into the state of our youth, which is that we'd be able to shrug off diseases and uh, be immune to other problems in the same way. So that's the view that uh, aging is something that happens to biological almost a physical level. It's a bit like when you drive a car, the car over a time starts rusting, it accumulates other problems. Uh, But if you do regular maintenance on your car, then guess what, it can last a lot longer. So if we are able to do the same kinds of preventive maintenance on our own bodies by using various uh, rejuvenation therapies, which I believe should become available in the next decade or two, then like a car that lasts 100 years, even though it was never envisaged by its creators at lasting that long, in the same way our physical bodies could be indefinitely youthful. Wow. uh, We've had many speakers, including Raymond Francis, that said we should live to 120. We just have to do proper maintenance. His theory was uh, that, you know, we need to have ourselves healthy or, you know, and then there are things that make them unhealthy. So, anyway, that's interesting. But what are the levels of damage that you are referring to? Well, let's run through some examples. 
So one of the most important bits of damage is when our cells, uh, in particular our stem cells, stop working the same as before. Uh, stem cells are marvelous parts of the body which can turn into lots of other kinds of cells. It can also make up for shortcomings in cells. But as we live longer, these stem cells gradually lose their abilities to recreate. So that's one of the categories of damage. And so we need to learn how to reprogram our stem cells to reset them back to being youthful again. Second category of damage is that we end up with cells in our bodies, which we might call zombie cells or more technically senescent cells. That is where things have gone wrong. And when we are young, the, such cells are naturally recycled by the body's processes. But as we get older, that recycling doesn't work so well. So we end up with a lot of dead cells or dying cells in our bodies whose influence then is bad on the neighborhood cells. So the way to fix this is we get our bodies better at recovering the material that's in these senescent cells. And this can be done by changing some of our genetic makeup, amongst other things. The third category of damage is in the linkages that uh, take place between cells. The connections, uh, sometimes called AGEs, advanced glycation end products, which uh, end up uh, a bit like uh, a glue, a sticky material, uh, which uh, therefore slows down the overall operation. So as time, all these bits of damage tend to accumulate. Historically, we thought there's nothing can be done about it, but it turns out that we can intervene using lower level mechanisms, uh, some of which are already well understood, some of which we've just got uh, an outline of an understanding. But if we can undo these bits of damage, then uh, we'll be much less prone to the diseases which uh, in the end kill us. Also in your book, I noticed maybe these are subsets of the categories you just mentioned, but also important were adverse response to stress, which as our audience knows, that involves cortisol, which really makes our system go the wrong way and our metabolism go the wrong way. Inflammation, which many speakers have said is at the root of just about every disease we can imagine. I think you also mentioned decline in the ability to manage proteins which probably goes under the subset of apoptosis of what you do with the six senescent cells. You also mentioned effects of metabolism, damage to DNA, lipids, and proteins, problems with epigenetics and regulatory DNA controlling gene expression, and the immune system. So I think all these are a part as well. Indeed. Uh, you can look at it in slightly different ways, but you're quite right, uh, emphasizing, for example, the stress response. Uh, it's good, you know, we, our bodies can get inflamed when there's some uh, infection that needs to be dealt with. But uh, as we age, the acute inflammation, which is a very positive action, sometimes turns into this uh, chronic inflammation instead. So all these things are there for reasons, but they eventually get out of balance and they become an impediment to our health rather than uh, positive to our health. Yes, Anthony Haynes, who spoke last week and is the head of Nutrilink here in London, was saying how important these occult infections can be that we don't know that they could be causing all sorts of havoc in our system. So what you're saying is coinciding with uh, functional medicine folks you know, quite well. So in your opinion, 
what is anti-aging? So there's various levels of anti-aging. It's very important that we keep ourselves as healthy as possible using the best therapies and treatments, diets and lifestyle that's available today. And that may give us perhaps a few years, perhaps even some decades of extra life. I don't think, however, that's going to make us live routinely up to the age of 120 or beyond. We need uh, to get a hold of some of these future techniques to be able to help us out there. What are some of these future techniques, do you think? So we can look at things like uh, nanotech interventions. Nanotechnology has been uh, speculated some time ago uh, by Eric Drexler. It's the ability to manipulate uh, molecules at that molecular level to generate new kinds of machinery. And so instead of having... Big surgery. Nowadays, we have microsurgery, which is a big step forward. In the future, we'll have nanosurgery, which means that effectively we'll have little computers the size of blood cells injected into our body. They'll be able to move around the body, guided by various chemical gradients, guided by sensors. They'll be operating their own program inside these small nanobots, they're sometimes called. And when they get to the right part of the body, they'll be able to perform some very detailed and very specific uh, operations there. We're already seeing some of this in some of the remarkable things that's being done with immunotherapy treatments for some liquid cancers. We just uh, need to get better and more systematic in this. Another key intervention here which is related is the CRISPR mechanism to edit genes. Uh, Now that we understand the genetic causes of many of our problems, many of our responses vary from one person to another because of differences in our genes. With uh, the CRISPR mechanism, we can much more precisely target changes in our genes to make up for some of these shortfall. So that's another example of an intervention at that nanomolecular level. Another very important intervention, which isn't really possible yet, but which can become possible soon, is due to the growth of 3D printing, and particularly 3D bioprinting. So if something's wrong with uh, somebody's kidney or somebody's liver today, uh, or particularly if something's wrong with the heart, uh, we sometimes look to having an organ transplant. It's a bit of a huge operation to do that, and it also relies on uh, an unfortunate donor, uh, who usually will be dead, uh, giving their organs for reuse. Well, with uh, 3D printing, we'll be able to repair many of our organs uh, using uh, synthetic means or sometimes, in fact, using cells grown from the person's own body by stem cell mechanisms. Today, we can already 3D print heart valves. We can't do a whole heart yet, but it's not that far into the future. So that's another example of an intervention of the future anti-aging, which we can glimpse the start of today and which we can uh, campaign for becoming more available more quickly. What is rejuvenation? So rejuvenation is the ability to become young again. So it doesn't mean we'll be rolling back the clocks on our calendars. 
we will still be 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 years in calendar terms, but that our bodies will then have the vitality of uh, somebody who is chronologically much younger than us. And we'll do that by resetting their capabilities. It already happens in a marvelous way when uh, a mother gives birth to a child. The mother is, what, in her 20s, 30s, 40s, or perhaps 50s, but the child that comes out of that mother has his or her cells all reset to zero years old. So that's uh, one example of rejuvenation. We can do the same internally with the mechanisms that we are discussing in this interview. Now, you posit that there's a 50% chance we'll live to the age of 150 by age 20 by the year 2040. Why 50%? Okay, so just to be clear, we won't be 150 years old by 2040 because there isn't enough time between now and then, most of us. But uh, we will have the, a 50% chance, I believe, of there being sufficiently widespread rejuvenation therapies that people who take them uh, over, over this time period can be sufficiently youthful again that we can look forward to potentially living to 150 or indeed much, much longer. I don't see any limit of 150. In fact, I believe uh, people will be able to live uh, indefinitely long if we choose. But to come back to your question, which is a very good one, why do I say 50% chance? Well, it reflects the fact there are so many uncertainties out there. I see some factors which are accelerating progress in this field, which uh, can be encouraged, and which could uh, bring us these rejuvenation therapies uh, more quickly. But equally, I see a lot of obstacles out there, obstacles such as well, frankly, one of the worst obstacles is the public mindset. There are so many people who have the attitude, we shouldn't be trying to do this, frankly. It's sort of not natural. It's sort of immature. It's against what they were taught when they were young. And so many people say, you know, what we should try and do in life is to set ourselves at peace with the aging process and prepare to die and perhaps uh, look forward to an afterlife in some uh, religious or spiritual sense. So there's that public mindset. There's also the problem of just getting the cooperation between uh, sufficiently many searchers, doctors, activists that can uh, bring about the required levels of a uh, research breakthroughs, sufficient testing, sufficient reduction in costs. I believe there's lots of people who are, in principle, ready to join this cause, people who are medically trained in some cases or people who have other skills which they can deploy. The question is, how do we coordinate them all effectively and prevent uh, just a cacophony of noise and distraction? Because just because you've got more people working in a field, there's no guarantee that it's going to be successful. There's the saying, too many cooks spoil the broth. So we need to get the collaboration mechanisms in place so that the good research ideas feed off each other and that we can learn. I see encouraging examples of that in the way in which more and more ideas are shared around the world these days on things like Wikipedia, things like YouTube videos and like uh, this very radio program that we're discussing. This does help to share the best insights around. 
But equally, we live in a world of, so we can call it fake news or lots of heavy advertising, which uh, often confuses people. So stepping back, there are positive forces, there are also negative forces, and it's hard to know exactly how these balance up. So I say approximately 50% chance, which means we can influence that. It means that you and I, the listeners to this program, could make a difference to whether this uh, positive future comes about quickly or whether instead we end up uh, as a society acquiescing in aging, disease, and the downward spiral of uh, human life. Isn't this a little bit egotistical? I mean, will this be available only to the very rich? So there's two questions in there. The first, uh, is it egotistical to try and imagine that uh, we could have longer lives than most of the wonderful people in history that we know about? And my answer to that is, well, medicine itself has the same aspiration. Medicine is here to help us to live longer. Medicine is here already, whether it's anti-cancer medicine or medicine to address uh, problems of uh, heart uh, heart problems or medicine to deal with the scourges of malaria. It's all about helping people to live longer. But the question then is, well, will it just be available to the wealthy? And I see two possible futures in this. I don't take it for granted that it will necessarily be widely available. I certainly hope and I campaign that it will be uh, cheaply available. But there is uh, some tradition in some parts of the world that uh, medical costs keep rising. There is a greater costs of uh, cancer drugs uh, in the recent years. Even uh, treatments for diabetes in some parts of the world has become more expensive. So it's not taken for granted that these therapies will be widely available, which is why I call for political pressure on leaders of society to ensure that these drugs are available at the right time at lower costs, whether by well, government subsidies or whether by people putting their discoveries out into the public domain without expensive patents hanging over them too long. Now, isn't the world going to get overcrowded with a shortage of the food supply? So people have been worried about overcrowding for a long time. Uh, there's a British cleric called Thomas Malthus who was convinced nearly 200 years ago that there wouldn't be enough uh, capability in agriculture to feed more people. Turns out we've made many great improvements in agriculture. I personally think the world could cope with uh, a lot more people than we've got at present. We've got, what, somewhere between 7 and 8 billion people alive today. I actually think the world could cope with uh, scores, even hundreds of billions of people if we just become smarter at uh, organizing how we operate on the planet. More than 50% of the world's population, by the way, lives in just 1% of the available land mass. There's 99% of the land mass, which we're not making very good use of. So how can we do this? We can apply some of the same scientific improvements to grow food uh, more effectively, more healthily. A lot of the land which we currently give over to agriculture and growing meat uh, through the animals known as cows, we could grow uh, have very healthy food much more effectively in vertical farming 
and using synthetic biology. So we have a lot of space on this planet to have a lot more people living healthily. And in due course, we've got uh, the ability to grow larger skyscrapers. People think skyscrapers are ugly and terrible. We can make them organic and beautiful places to live. And we extend these in due course out into space via space stations. We've got the solar system to inhabit. If we look 100 years or more hence, we've got a whole galaxy to, popu uh, to populate, probably. So I don't see any limitations there. We do have to be smart, though, in terms of waste, in terms of pollution. We need to ensure that as we are living longer, we are not making a mess of the environment. But I think we know how to solve these problems, too. We just need to get the smartness of human ingenuity and innovation to apply itself to these problems. Well, I'm glad we have folks that are focused on the future and how to make it a better place, such, you know, folks such as yourself. Is this like playing God? I mean, aren't some of the religions thinking this is taking the role of God? Well, I guess every physician does that anyway when we're trying to help somebody stay alive. So this uh, allegation that we are playing God, uh, I find it a bit distasteful to apply that we are playing. You know, this is a very serious thing. Uh, addressing problems in healthcare uh, isn't any sense of playing. It's not for fun. It's to give people the ability to have all the rich experiences which are being taken away from them by their aging or by disease. Quite right, you are to point out that uh, doctors of all sorts are trying to stop people dying and give people more life. And if you call that playing God, then I sign up for it. In terms of what religions will think about this, well, that's a fascinating story. We maybe get onto that shortly. But my experience is that uh, religions can quite happily coexist with this aspiration for uh, better lives. Many religions talk about the wonders of uh, healthcare, the wonders of, of being stewards of the physical environment, and they can support the idea that we should have a healthier life indefinitely long. Okay, so we're coming to a break now. We'll be back. Uh, David Wood and myself will be back to talk more about the future and our health. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. If you think you've seen online TV before... 
Let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. We'd love to hear from you about today's show. Send your email to drsusan at occupyhealth.com. That's drsusan at occupyhealth.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan with David Wood. He is talking about anti-aging and all the scientific discoveries that might get us there as a whole population if we as a people think smart, protect our planet's resources, work together, that there are all sorts of possibilities, but we have to work together on this. So back to some questions. You say longevity is increasing. Is this just an extrapolation of what's going on or is there some validity to that? It's remarkable how lifespan has increased every 10 years or so. Life expectancy has increased by about two and a half years. That's about one quarter in history from about 1840 up to the present day. So in the 1840s, average lifespan was perhaps 45 In some parts of the world, 160 years later, it's grown up to about 85. So that's a remarkable trend, and there are many factors behind that. Things like improved child healthcare in particular, but more recently things like stopping or reducing smoking. That's also had an impact on many health things. So we might wonder whether or not that's going to increase. But what I'm talking about is a more radical extension of healthy longevity. It's not just that if we wait another 10 years, our life expectancy will go up another two and a half years. I have in mind that within a few decades, possibly as early as 2040, our lifespan will effectively become indefinitely long. So that if we are healthy and alive in 2040, there's no reason we shouldn't still be healthy and alive in 2140 and 2240 and 2340 as well. So this won't come about just by the same as before. It requires some more fundamental changes. And some of these fundamental changes are new levels of intervention in our healthcare, uh, which I spoke about in the first segment, things like nanotechnology, stem cell therapy, 3D bioprinting, and genetic engineering. And some of the changes are because of a different mindset. And that new mindset is to say, if we want to address disease, then we have to address one of the most important root causes of disease, which is aging. So rather than trying just to focus on 
how do we solve this one disease, whether it's one type of cancer or one type of uh, uh, dementia, we can go and look instead at the aging in the body with a view to making huge jumps forwards in our ability to address all diseases. Can you tell us a little bit about Michael Rose's work at University of California, Irvine, and he showed that lifespan can be quadrupled even. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So that's a fascinating story. That was one of the things that suddenly changed many people's ideas as to whether aging is fixed or instead plastic. It also changed their view as to whether we could ever do better than evolution. Because before Michael Rose did these experiments, which I'll describe in a minute, many people said, you know, evolution has already worked out the best possible solutions. And if we somehow change genes to try and live longer, it's not going to work or it's going to go bad in some other way. So what Michael Rose did is a process of, we might call it unnatural selection over a set of fruit flies. So every generation, he picked out the fruit flies that gave birth or laid eggs later in their lives. So the ones that gave uh, laid eggs early, he discarded, but the ones who uh, gave the next generation later in their own life, he picked. And he did this again and again and again. And the result was fruit flies that uh, in the end lived four times as long on average and also had a maximum lifespan four times as much as before. But critically, these fruit flies weren't in some sense unhealthy. By almost every metric, they were just as healthy and just as vibrant as the original set. So this showed that aging is plastic. Uh, After he's done that work, other people have done work in worms, the C. elegans worm, uh, by single genetic changes. Uh, At first, people found a genetic change which could double the life of a C. elegans worm. Later on, people have found a single genetic change which can multiply the life tenfold. Now, we're not saying that any of these changes are directly applicable to humans. Humans are, in many ways, much more complicated in our biology. But it does show some of the implications here that maybe better genes can have a significant effect on lifespan. Let me just round off this discussion by referring to one set of humans who have a remarkable longevity. They are part of a study in New York, led by Nur Barzilai of the Albert Einstein College in New York, who has studied families of people in which all members of the family or many members of the family live well into their 90s or in some cases over the age of 100. And there is one family, for example, of which four people all lived to to be over 100. And most of them were remarkably healthy right up to the age of, uh, in two cases, they lived up to 109, uh, being very healthy. One of them kept working uh, in his role as an investment uh, broker uh, until just a few months before he died. He didn't work five days a week. He worked uh, three or four days a week for a few hours a day. And... What's remarkable is that this family didn't all have, quote, healthy lifestyles. Some of them smoked until quite late in their life. One of them said she didn't like any vegetables. I'm sharing this news not to advise your listeners to smoke or to (laughs) set aside vegetables, but to show the 
is very likely something of great interest in the genes of uh, that family. It's of interest that uh, most of the people in this uh, study, as it happens, come from the community of Ashkenazi Jews in uh, New York. And so it's again the suggestion there might be something in the genes of these people. And we're at early stages in identifying what that is. People have got various uh, hypotheses. There's something called the FOX03 gene, if I remember that correctly, which uh, people are drawing attention to. So it's showing that uh, aging can vary even inside a species by changing uh, some of the genetic makeup. Can you tell me a little bit about Cynthia Kenyon's work? So Cynthia Kenyon is one of the people whose teams have done this fascinating work in, uh, in C. elegans worms. Uh, she has also written many of the key papers in this field. She did some of her uh, postgraduate research in the University of Cambridge here in England, but more, most of her career has been in California. And most recently, she is one of the leading researchers in a company called Calico, which has been set up by Google, which, of course, is one of the wealthiest, most successful companies on the planet. And people in Calico are looking for genetic variation and for other interventions which mimic uh, changing genes by introducing drugs that will manufacture the same proteins as these genes will do. So they are doing this work to try and uh, address the problem of aging. And Cynthia Kenyon is one of a considerable number of leading researchers that have been brought together by Google in this company. Yeah, interesting. I understand some of the things she might be looking at is caloric restriction, drugs to trigger, trigger apoptosis, which means you kill off the senescence cells that are getting kind of old, and um, looking at biomarkers and how to affect the biomarkers. So it'd be quite interesting to know what she's coming up with at Google. Yeah, we are at a bit of a disadvantage in that this group and Google uh, are quite careful about what they say in public. Uh, so we have to do a bit of guesswork as to exactly what they're doing. But we can see there's lots of people involved and we understand that uh, the Google funders won't be putting lots of money in there unless they can see some uh, promise of a good progress. Well, we look forward to that. Um, how would you address incurable disease? So, I mean, people say, how can you address aging when uh, cancer is still unsolved despite all that money being put into it? People also point to things like Alzheimer's, terrible diseases of uh, neurodegeneration. People say, look, we haven't made much progress with them, uh, and aging's even harder. So, uh, what hope is there? And I would turn that question around. I would see addressing aging it's perhaps the best way to address these presently incurable diseases. As it happens, they're not completely incurable. There's been a very significant progress, as we know, among many types of cancer. And as for Alzheimer's, the, possibly the most encouraging approach that I've come across is the suggestion that there are elements in young blood which, if made available in 
older uh, animals can uh, reverse some of the damage of the neurodegeneration. So this was uh, discovered by joining uh, young mice and old mice together in this rather interesting or rather strange experiment called parabiosis in which they have a common circulating blood and afterwards when you look inside the bodies of the mice, the old mice uh, of the pair had uh, muscles which are healthier, the heart which was healthier and even the brain uh, showed less signs of degeneration than the normal. So we're not saying we should go about bound up to a younger partner in this way what we are saying uh, is that this whole field deserves a lot more attention. What people have found more recently is you can take even some elements in human blood plasma, take a relatively young humans, take their blood plasma. That can be applied into the mice, old mice, and it has some of the same effects. So this might be one of the most promising approaches. So it's not trying to treat it in the same way as currently the disease-first approach. It's looking instead at rejuvenating the whole body, and it turns out that uh, many of these formerly incurable diseases or diseases in which there's been disappointingly little progress will be suddenly uh, no longer as difficult. Uh, as a sidebar to the listeners, on August 18th, we interviewed Dr. Dale Bredesen, who's actually published studies about reversing Alzheimer's and cognitive decline, yet he's taking the approach of looking at many possible pathways leading to disease and uh, addressing each of these, so which is a little bit different approach. Uh, you were talking about, you know, putting uh, blood from a young animal into an old animal. Can you tell us a little more about those studies? Because I believe that by putting a substance from the young animal into the older animal, it rejuvenated them completely. Can you address that a little more? So I wouldn't say rejuvenating them completely, but uh, the evidence has been in these experiments, which have typically been with mice so far, that uh, when you look at the old mouse afterwards, uh, its muscles have got healthier. They show more of the characteristics of a young mouse than an old mouse, and many of its other internal organs, including the heart and I believe uh, the liver and kidneys, also looked younger than before. So it's, it's encouraging. Now, I don't say this is going to be a single catch-all treatment, but it's a sign that if we address the maintenance of the human body by bringing in uh, materials from one source or another which are younger, then uh, it will allow the body to, as a whole to behave it's, as if it's younger. It's too early to say exactly how uh, this works, but... There is extremely interesting work being done by, I mean, I, I may not remember the names exactly, but Robin Wiss-Coray. There's a TED talk that he has done, which uh, sets some of this uh, possibilities vividly before listeners. And I, I believe this is something that uh, deserves a lot more attention. And the general point here is that I want to see a bit of a rebalancing of how funding is assigned. Of course, there should be money dedicated to individual diseases. That's entirely right. But I'd like to see a larger share of the overall research funding put onto the aging elements of that, because that might be a better approach. 
it's a bit like, I'll give you another example. Uh, a lot of diseases are made worse if we live in a state of bad hygiene. Once upon a time, people didn't understand much about germs, didn't understand much about the effects of poor hygiene, and therefore people routinely drank water which wasn't clean. Even uh, milk uh, came from a cows which hasn't been pasteurized. And it turns out that when the levels of hygiene were improved, lots of diseases declined in their prevalence. So I see addressing the aging at the molecular and biological level will have a similar impact. In fact, an even bigger impact in the longer term. It won't just be one or two diseases which uh, are uh, impacted. It'll be almost every disease will be less likely to be developed. And if diseases are developed, they'll be less uh, lethal. There'll be less of an impact. They'll be easier for people to shake them off. That's very interesting. So in the example of transferring something good from a healthy animal to an older animal, what would be the counterpart in a human being? What would they be putting into us to get our muscles stronger? So this is still an open research project. It's rumored that uh, various people are having transfusions from uh, younger blood. Uh, actually, there were experiments in the Soviet Union as long ago as the 1920s. One of the original founders of the Bolshevik party there, along with Lenin, his name is Bogdanov, I think Alexander Bogdanov, he fell out with Lenin like most of the others, but uh, his background was in medical training uh, and he did various blood transfusion experiments on himself. I believe also on Lenin's sister. And people used to say to him, gosh, you're looking 10 years younger. Uh, and then unfortunately he did a transfusion with somebody from somebody who had a blood disease uh, and it killed him. So, Isn't there a scientist currently uh, giving herself uh, treatments and might be in a genetic level and she's kind of doing a, a self-experiment? That's right. So she's doing something a bit different. Her name is Elizabeth Parrish. She is the CEO of a small company called BioVivo. It might be BioVivo Sciences. And uh, what she's doing is genetic reprogramming. So it's not that she has having a young material from uh, other people or other animals injected into her. It's she's had two sets of genetic changes introduced, not by CRISPR, which I spoke about on the first section, but by other gene editing methods, which were easier to do at that time. So about 18 months ago, one of the changes was in her Telomerase, the telomerase, as many of your listeners may know, is an enzyme which can be applied to make the telomeres, which are at the end of our DNA chromosomes, you can make them longer again. So the normal mechanism of a cell division involves a little bit at the end of each of the chromosomes getting shorter, and that's the telomeres. But nature has this... Uh, enzyme called telomerase, which introduced, will make these uh, cells longer again. And many people hypothesize with uh, a lot of uh, research to back them up, is that this is one of the low-level mechanisms of aging that we were discussing earlier. So if this can be done, 
many other positive side effects will happen. So Liz Parrish, uh, Elizabeth Parrish, has had this applied to her, and the results so far show that uh, many parts of her body are characteristic, therefore, of a younger person with the longer telomeres. The other genetic enhancements which she has done is in her muscles. I can't remember the full details of this, but I think it's something called folistatin, which will uh, strengthen muscles because uh, as we get older, our muscles tend naturally to weaken, sometimes called sarcopenia. We just shrug some of us and say, well, what can we do? Others say, well, you should go to the gym. Others say you should change your diet or take various drugs. Well, this is another mechanism that people are suggesting should be done. And if our muscles are healthier, then so many other aspects of our body will be healthy too. And so far, the evidence from Liz Parrish is very positive on that front as well. Can you tell us a little bit, uh, a very short version, of Dr. Aubrey de Grey's work? He's the chief science officer of SENS, and he's been doing a lot of work. Can you tell me a little bit about what he's been doing? So SENS stands for Strategies for Engineered Negligible Senescence. Senescence is the observation that as we get older, our bodies uh, work less well, and we're therefore more prone to all kinds of illness and disease. So here is uh, engineering various uh, mechanisms, some therapies which will undo what he views as seven categories of damage. And when I first came across Aubrey's work about 2005, most of what he was talking about is, well, here's a theory, and if he could raise enough money, then he could start developing uh, uh, solutions. Since then, he has uh, been quite successful in raising modest amounts of money. It's in the tens of millions, I think, overall of dollars. And as a result of this, uh, this very interesting work has been done by companies spun off by his uh, research group into, I think, three or four of the seven categories of aging which he has identified. So he's been a trailblazer and a public spokesman for this field. Initially, much of the scientific establishment uh, stood back from him and were a bit unsure what to make of him. But more and more members of the mainstream uh, gerontological community are now treating his ideas as a very interesting and promising uh, scientific hypothesis. And they don't all agree with uh, his uh, view, which uh, is that we could uh, reverse aging completely within a couple of decades. But uh, my view is that this is, uh, as we said earlier, plausible. And I've learned a great deal from the research he has done and the community he has built around. Now, I understand his seven major classes that he initially identified were cell loss and tissue atrophy or wasting, cancer cells, mitochondrial mutations, death-resistant cells. Those are those old senescent cells that are going around stirring things up because they're in confusing everything. Extracellular matrix stiffening, extracellular aggregates, and intercellular, meaning inside the cell aggregates. So which of these categories has he made progress on and what has he done? So the senolytics is one of the very interesting and promising fields. Uh, so that's to deal with the cells that uh, uh, age and don't get naturally recycled by the body. So one of the spin-outs from his uh, uh, research work is one that uh, has got some interesting research on uh, 
I think it's genetic changes. It may also just be uh, drugs that are applied, which uh, give back some of the body's vitality in dealing with these senescent cells. So that's uh, promising. He's also got a more radical idea about uh, dealing with the damage in mitochondrial DNA. So mitochondria are the parts of the body that uh, generate energy. And they are outside of the nucleus, and they tend to go wrong more often than cells in the nucleus. And uh, Aubrey has uh, speculated that if we can move some of the cell, some of the genes from the mitochondria into the nucleus, where they'd be more protected, then some of the dysfunction of mitochondria, which tends to increase over age, would uh, happen less often. And uh, some of his uh, researchers are showing some encouraging uh, work along these lines, too. On that note, we've got like two and a half minutes left. Would you like to summarize your main points and let people know how to get a hold of you and how to find your book? So my book is called The Abolition of Aging, which is available on uh, uh, Amazon, either as a physical copy or as an electronic download. My most important message is that collectively as a society, we should wake up. We are in some kind of trance which accepts too easily that death is uh, before us, that aging is our destiny. I think we should have a new attitude towards this. We should understand and appreciate that we can do better as a species. It's almost like Once upon a time, all society was sort of at peace with the phenomenon of slavery. People said, well, slavery is not very, very nice, but what else can you do? And then people said, hey, no, we should do better. And the big movement grew up for the abolition of slavery in uh, Europe and in America. And it should be the same with aging. People are currently saying aging's a bit of a shame, but what can we do about it? Well, my message is we can do a lot about it. Let's get ourselves organized. Let's shake off the shackles of the acquiescence in aging. Let's get more of society's research funding and energy applied to abolishing aging. And that will be the dawn of a much better area and much better era for humanity. Yeah, also implicit in this is that we've got to come together as people. We've got to look at what unites us rather than what our differences are. We have to come together as various communities and work together, and that is very important. And the futurists are looking into this to look, you know, such as David Wood, is how to make this happen. So in closing, I encourage you all to do your own research, do what you can to grow your community, look at the positive, what we have in common, rather than the differences. Let's let's push the future, in, or let's let the future go to a very positive direction. So in your research, uh, you can help yourself, you can help others, and be well. Thank you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.